Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to an extra Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning, another one. We're um, racking them up. We sure are. But before we get into the goodly morning, and there is a lot of goodliness to go around, uh, I just want to start on a bit of a serious note. Mm. Uh, there's been a tragic incident, unfortunately, that we have to address. Of course, yeah. It, it's a serious situation. Uh, I don't want to make light of it in any way. Uh, we're a bit heartbroken here this morning to have to tell everybody that, well... English football is dead, James. Yeah. It died of mortification because of what Danny Welbeck did last night. It just passed away in the night through shame. It's um I, th- I think they're folding the whole thing now, aren't they? I mean, th- yeah. there was talk of them not going to the World Cup anyway. I think that's not going to happen. Obviously the Premier League will have to just be scrapped at this point, yeah. I imagine. Um, it's going to be replaced by esports, I believe, an esports league which people can just watch on their phones. And uh, you know, we all know who's responsible for this. Yeah, um, and it's someone who, to be honest, we've long had suspicions about his character, haven't we? Like, you know, there's always been something malevolent and evil about Danny Welbeck. I think. Yeah, there's a pernicious nature to to him and the way that he operates. I. I heard stories, James, that he lived in a not a house, not an apartment, not a mock Tudor mansion, but in a lair. And do you mm. know who lives in lairs? Villains. People yeah. who are out to destroy the things that we love the most. And he's clearly one of them. I, I, we've been taken I, in by his charming smile and 
happy-go-lucky nature, but beneath it all lay a true evil that none of us could ever have countenanced. I suppose, you know, in those two years that he spent out injured with those knee problems, we thought all that time he was kind of rehabbing and just trying to get back to playing football. But of course, now it seems so obvious that he was planning this. The destruction of football as we know it. What do we do? I mean, what, how, how do we go on from here? I don't know. I mean, it's brought shame on us. It's brought shame on the podcast. I mean, maybe the podcast has to end here. I'm not sure how we can possibly pick it up from this point. You know, it's it's a tough one. It surely is a tough one. And certainly as, as uh, bloggers, as podcasters, perhaps fans, James, disguised loosely as journalists, we have to mm. take our share of the responsibility here. And if people feel like it's our fault, well, we're very sorry for, for, uh, for helping create this toxic environment in which football has finally been killed. It wasn't the money. It wasn't the greed. It was, it was us and Danny Welbeck. In league. <laughs> oh dear oh my goodness what a big load of old bollocks that's been um, uh, crazy yeah it really is it really is quite crazy The uh, people people don't like it when Arsenal don't mess up I genuinely think that's a, a big part of what's gone on that the, the there was so much excitement last night that Arsenal might do an Arsenal especially when they want 1-0 down that when it it turned around, albeit somewhat fortuitously, certainly in the in the penalty award, I think people were disappointed. Yeah, I think there is an element of that as well because uh, so much has gone on this week in terms of English football, in terms of the failures of, of English clubs in Europe, for example. And, you know, we hear uh, some of the people who are criticising Arsenal this morning, they're always there tub-thumping about how great it is for all English clubs to do well in Europe. United, absolutely... Um, uh, rubbish, I think is the word I was looking for there against Sevilla. Knocked mm. out their 500 billion trillion uh, spend on their squad, saw them play like idiots, uh, and they were beaten by Sevilla well and truly and deservedly beaten too. Chelsea went out to Barcelona. There is the whole, you know, Messi being the greatest player of all time thing going on there. But still, you know, they went out. Tottenham went out. You know, should should they not be flying the flag for an English team that's done really quite well? against AC Milan, 5-1 on aggregate? Is this not the story? Should this not be the focus of the headlines and the back pages? Arsenal's progress doesn't really... It's not as sexy, is it? It's not as uh, not as clickbaity, I guess. doesn't draw in the eyeballs as much as Arsenal were actually quite good over two games. No, that doesn't seem to work, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's an international break coming up. There's not, you know, there's no Premier League to shout about. You know, the media needs something to to make noise around, and they've chosen to make that Danny Welbeck's dive. I, I am absolutely flabbergasted, to be honest, at the reaction to it. It's as if he is the first man to fall down in the penalty box. Mm. Um, and and also, I, I mean, look, we've started talking about it now. We might as well carry on talking about it. I should be clear. I'm not saying that I love diving or that I, you know, I welcome it and I embrace it and I want all our players to do it all the time. I suppose I just think, and I know there are Arsenal fans out there because some of them have tweeted me to say, you know, I don't, I really didn't like it. I really think it puts a stain on the result. I think it puts a stain on his performance. 
think it puts a stain on his character. Fair enough. That's an opinion you're entitled to. Me personally, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't offend me quite so much. I have to say, I kind of, I see it as something that is a pretty isolated incident in the player's career. Yeah, uh, and I don't necessarily see the need for the furore. But yeah, I mean, look, I don't like diving either. I especially don't like diving when it happens to us. And these are the mental gymnastics you have to go through as a football fan. Diving is really, 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 really terrible when someone dives against you. And when mm. one of your own players dives, it's just a bit bad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that is, yeah. look, we can be as rational and uh, uh, and open as we want, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. I don't like it. I prefer if our players didn't do it, but when they do it, I'm not going to like lambaste them or or go to town on them, particularly as you point out with Danny Welbeck. It's the first time I can ever remember him actually diving. And it was, wasn't even the most egregious dive. It was kind of a falling over. The guy, I think the guy held his arm out in a weird way. He kind of caught him with his arm very slightly. I'm not saying that's sufficient contact for, for Danny Welbeck to go down, but you often hear the, uh, well, there was contact. It's like uh, Hector Bellerin's tiny little kick on the bottom of Hazard's boot was enough to send Hazard spinning through the air. And nobody said Hazard was a cheat really Arsenal fans did because he he uh, performed a dive against us but there was contact etc so there's these you know you can't be pure about diving I don't think there's any way of being pure about diving my issue was was the presentation of Welbeck's dive as the thing on which this tie turned as if it was the uh, it, it was the defining moment of two games in which Arsenal scored five goals and Milan only scored one goal. That was yeah. what bothered me about it. I mean, I think look, the penalty definitely helped in the, in the course of the game and, and took the momentum away from Milan after they scored. But even when they were 1-0 up, they still needed two more away goals in order to win the tie. And as we saw over the course of the 90 minutes, they couldn't even get another. So, uh, yeah, I think suggesting that a 5-1 tie was decided by any one goal would be ludicrous. Just as I think when we were battered by by Munich, teams like that 5-1, there were goals in there that we felt uh, aggrieved about. I forget now the specifics, but I'm sure there were one or two. a penalty, I think. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you didn't look at it and go, well... If that not gone in, we would have won it at a canter. You know, so I, I think it's crazy. And, and for me, you're right. There is that element of well, why detract from the result? Why detract from the performance to this extent? I also I can't be- really believe that this dive of all the dives we've seen this season from so many different players. I mean, and, and I think as Arsenal fans, we're entitled to say particularly some at Spurs who seem to do it systematically. Yeah. I can't understand why it's this one that is headline news, literally back page news, more so than the result. It does seem like an undue response. And also we've been in this position before. Was it not Celtic that we also beat, I think, 5-1 on aggregate in that tie? Something similar anyway. Yeah. And Eduardo was castigated for a dive that had a, a similarly minimal out, uh, impact on the outcome. It yeah. does seem odd and a highly disproportionate response. Yeah, I mean, I've I've said on the podcast before that I, you know, I don't buy into media conspiracies as such, but like, Nor do I? But this is it is absurd. It's absolutely absurd to present this dive or to focus on this particular uh, incident as the most egregious, the most disgusting, the most shameful dive when there are players out there in the Premier League who do it week in, week out. Every fucking week they do it. And it might get mentioned in passing. 
or it might be vaguely criticised, uh, but nothing like this. This absolute. Mem- this is just mental. Do you remember against Manchester United when Danny Welbeck was clearly brought down on the right-hand side of the penalty area and he, he sprung back up, back up straight away and we didn't get the penalty? Mm. And so many pundits said, oh, you know, it, maybe he should have stayed down there <laughs> because, you know, he didn't, he didn't do himself any favours. Uh, I, I just think in this, in this particular incident as well, I mean... Uh, it, I actually think that what happens here is that he, he anticipates the contact. He thinks that the guy is going to push on him, which it looks like he is going to. The guy actually pulls his arm away at the last moment and thinks, I'm going to go with this contact. I actually personally think that's a lesser crime than hanging the leg, deliberately putting your leg in somebody's way. Um but yeah, I mean, I guess it's subjective and I guess I am biased, but I make no bones about it. I'm an Arsenal fan. Yeah, me too. I mean, the same pundit last night on BT Sport who was complaining about the Milan striker staying on his feet last week. Remember when he went over Ospina and he mm. could have gone down and uh, he's saying, well, you know, uh, Jermaine Genus, by the way, saying, oh, he should have gone down there, would have got a penalty. And all of a sudden we're supposed to, what, where are the double standards? There, there are the double standards, I should say, right there. Well, let's not forget, Suso dived in the same game. He got so a his is fine. He got booked. Because he got caught. Yeah. yeah. If only Danny Welbeck had been booked, then he wouldn't have brought this great shame upon English football. Oh. It's so bizarre. And I also think there's this myth at the heart of it that English football has certain characteristics about you know fair play and manliness and staying on your feet, which is absolute nonsense. I mean, if anything, Welbeck's dive was probably a response to his call-up to the England squad. He probably thinks it's mandatory that you have to do that to get in. <laughs> You're in to replace Harry Kane. Mm, how do I do that? I know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Score a couple of tap-ins, a penalty and a dive. That's the, he's, I mean, he's absolutely tailor-made to replace Harry Kane now. Nailed on, nailed on. But look, uh, it is, you know, to me, storming a teacup stuff. Um, but I kind of like it, though. Am I wrong to kind of like, like it, it you know, to kind of enjoy the the fact that people are getting so pissy about this? The fact that Arsenal winning a game or two has uh, sent them down this particular road. Uh, the, the, I, yeah, I like it. I like the fact that there's almost like a, a togetherness among the Arsenal fans over this stuff because we can all see how just absurd and ludicrous that it is. And mm. you know, and I know, and people listening will know just how fractured the Arsenal fan base has been and is for various reasons over various topics. And this feels like something that has kind of brought everyone together in a way. And I like that. I like that there's a collective, go fuck yourselves about yeah. this. I like it too. Circle the wagons, rally the troops. And that's the thing, you know, we we disappointed the neutral last night. We disappointed uh, supporters of our rival clubs who wanted to see us screw this up. Yeah. We did the job. Uh, we did the job over two legs, which I don't think, you know, I don't think everyone anticipated us doing, even Arsenal fans. Uh, we came through strong in a fortnight where, let's not forget, some other English clubs went out of European competition in hilarious circumstances. So, yeah, that will have pissed plenty of people off, and I'm delighted about that. Yeah, yeah, and very enjoyable, and we shall uh, continue to enjoy that uh, throughout this podcast, I think. So, look, uh, let's look at the game very quickly. I thought it was quite boring, quite tedious, till about the 36th minute when Milan scored. Uh, I was doing the live blog. I was thinking, you know, this is not great, but I, I can live with this. We're 2-0 up. Everything's going okay. Milan don't look that threatening. And then the dude whose name I can't pronounce 
um, uh, whacked one in from 25 yards. My yeah. my feeling on that was Ospina should have saved it. No, hang on. My feeling on that is I want my goalkeeper to save that shot. Ah, <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I mean, it was a little bit dull because Man, uh, Man City, we won't play Man City, Milan, I think they knew really that they could take their time a little bit. If, you know, if they got one goal, they might be able to exert some pressure, maybe try and take the time to extra time. I actually had become a little bit distracted and wasn't watching at the moment when the ball hit the net. I was like, well, there's nothing dangerous happening. I think I looked at my phone or something like that. Bang, it was in the bottom corner. Hang on, you're uh, in the press box looking at your phone. <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. But um, I was saying, yes, I. it is a good strike, isn't it? And it's swerving away from the keeper into the far corner. Yeah, but, you know, I still think quicker reactions, quicker movement from the goalkeeper, and he should be stopping that. He had a good view of it. and look, It's from a long way out. It is from a long way out. He could see it all the way. I think mm. we've got a bit of an issue with with uh, with balls coming in from a long way out. I think it's something that we saw uh, against Brighton. Was it the cross from the right that came all the way? Mustafi um, didn't read it well. And there were a couple of moments last night, second half in particular, when Milan put in crosses from the right-hand side. A couple of them from quite far out. They travelled a long way and they good-headed chances. There was at least two I can think of where... Had they been better uh, finishes, we we could have been in more trouble. So um, yeah, yeah. And, and to be fair to Ospina, he did make one uh, pretty decent save, didn't yeah, he? Tipping yeah. over the bar from one of those headers. Yep, um, he did. He did. But yeah, I, I mean, look when he when they scored that, it was not long before half time, was it? About ten minutes before half time, and. Uh, I mean, the one thing you would say about the penalties, the timing was great for us, wasn't it? Because it just settled the nerves that would undoubtedly have crept in pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I don't buy into this theory that Arsenal were rocking or were absolutely under the cosh following the Milan goal. Basically, the Milan goal happened, we kept possession and we, we were we were up the other end. We created movement and space in their box. So it wasn't Ramsey like- almost scored, didn't it? Yeah. Do you remember? It was a left-footed shot palmed away. And, and from that, the penalty came about. Right, so you know, it's not as if all of a sudden they had scored and we were shitting our pants on the edge of our own box. We, mm. I, we, you know, whatever you might think about the penalty, we created the the um, the space to get into those areas and to make something dangerous happen or for something dangerous to happen. So the referee um, points to the spot after uh, Welbeck was brutally assaulted in the area. Uh, thankfully, he was okay. Picked himself back up, dusted himself down. Put the pain to one side. And I tell you what, when when he when he grabbed hold of that ball, I wasn't confident. I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> watching it live, Aaron Ramsey was the first to pick the ball up. He went over and grabbed it and moved it away from the referee and the other officials. And I thought, okay, Ramsey's going to take that. Makes a, a measure of sense. And then Welbeck came over and sort of took the ball off Ramsey. I don't think it was. I don't think Ramsey was actually earmarked to take it. It just looked that way. And as I saw Welbeck preparing, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not sure about this. He, did he miss a penalty for us in pre-season or something like that? I've got a memory remember. of it. Can't remember. I maybe he did. I, I like, yeah. yeah. I like you. Put it I, away I, pretty well. Yeah, he did. It was a, gr- a really good penalty. And as I stood, as, as we watched him on the TV anyway, I grew more confident because I, I, mm. fe- I looked at him and he didn't... Uh, 
He didn't take his eyes off the ball. He wasn't looking around. He knew what he wanted to do. So he'd made his mind up. And that's the thing they always say, isn't it? When you take a penalty, make your mind up and just put it where you're going to put it. Mm. Uh, and it's, it looked to me like that's exactly what he did. Concentrated on the ball, tucked it away very nicely, sent the keeper the wrong way. Won one. And amazingly, it's his first European goal for us since 2014 when he scored that hat-trick against Galatasaray. Yeah. I mean, he really needed that. Uh, it's been been a while since we saw a well-back goal. I think it was the Nottingham Forest game in the FA Cup, which is a yeah. game best forgotten. Uh, but I thought he did look generally sharper last night. Even that first chance, you know, where he kind of went through against the goalkeeper, had that left-footed shot. Not the best shot in the world, but tested the keeper. I thought, you know, you could see the benefit of the game time he'd got in Milan and off the bench here and there. I thought this was a better... I mean, obviously the goals, you know, will be a big help to him, but there's a better all-round performance from Welbeck. Yeah, so we go into the second half, and I think Milan had some good chances. I think with better finishing, it might have been more of a game. Uh, I'm not sure yeah. we defended quite as well as we, as we could have. Um, it was a bit like Watford in that respect, I thought, in that, you know, we were pretty efficient going forward and got the goals, but there were definite opportunities at the other end to exploit some some weaknesses in our back line but they just weren't really taken yeah I'm just looking here there was a chance for Ramsey I'm just looking back through the live blog here um Milan had a Cutrone he he um volleyed wide if you remember Ospina was rooted to the spot then there was a header then there was another header I think for Kalinic um and then we uh and then we score the ref fell over as well that was good um I enjoyed that yeah, everyone always enjoys that. It wasn't a good night for the ref, especially as regards falling over, to yeah. be honest. But, um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Granite Shackers. I mean, you know, f- f- giving some uh, fuel for all the people who shout shoot every time he gets the ball. Yeah, he shot and it went in. Keeper will look at himself and think he could have done better with that. He got two hands to it. But for it's quite bizarre goal, actually, isn't it? When you look at the angle of the save and when you look at the way the ball skidded back the other way, it was quite a strange goal, just span in over the line. Yeah, weird week for Donnarumma, the young Italian uh, keeper. He's, you know, the next Buffon, the next big thing. But I think apparently Milan are buying Pepe Reina, if you believe the transfer stories in Yeah, no, in they, just, they just want somebody to put a Barcelona shirt over Cesc Fabregas. Uh, ah, gonna, that's what it is. Going to get him from that's Chelsea this summer, you see. So. <laughs> Uh, I mean, maybe we have to give some credit to Shaka. There's been a few occasions this season, I think, where his long-range shooting appears to have deceived goalkeepers or made goalkeepers look stupid. I think there is something about the way he strikes the ball. You know, it has a lot of dip and swerve on it. And maybe, you know, it does seem a quite consistent thing that keepers struggle to deal with those long-range efforts. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a relatively effective weapon when it comes off. Obviously, in the, in the first game, there was the one where he clobbered it over the bar and then had a big row with, with Jack Wilshire. But, uh, yeah, look... It was a long time since we've had a central midfielder who could shoot from distance. Yeah, Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. There were years when we never did it at all. Sesk scored a few, I think. Uh, particularly, there's one against Milan, actually, when we won there 2-0 in the San Siro. True. Um, but yeah, you know, to have a guy who can actually really clatter the ball, and when he does hit it, he can really hit it. I know in this sort of era of statistics and XG, where the focus is on getting the ball into much more uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Much more better was what I was going to say, but that's really much terrible. Much more better. I think that's right. I much more better right. positions yeah, uh, right. to, to, <laughs> to shoot from. Uh, you know, a little bit of variety doesn't hurt, that's all. And uh, it paid off for us last night. And uh, then a, a second goal for, for Welbeck late on. Nice move. El Nenny uh, involved. Wilshire got down the line. Good, good save from Donnarumma. And then Welbeck was there to head home the rebound. Yeah, Ramsey won't believe he didn't score there. I mean, don't remember, I guess was trying to trying to make up for the mistake earlier on, but yeah, well, it couldn't have had an easier chance, really, which is probably a good thing given his form of late. But I, I think it's great for him to get a brace because even though Alexandre Lacazette is about to return, you know, he's in training already. You you can't only have one striker in two legged games like this. You need someone who can come off the bench. You need someone who can step in if Lacazette suffers another injury. So this was really big for his. I don't, yeah, but I also don't see Lacazette's return as spelling the end for Welbeck in the team for some of the Europa League games. Yeah, you know, I think there's not. I think there's room for him in the front three. Mm. Uh, I think that's potentially true because you know if you play with four at the back. Uh, and then say I don't know Shaka and Ramsey deep. You 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 could play Welbeck on the left of the three behind yeah. the strikers say yeah. instead of an Alex Wobi or maybe even a Jack Wilshire. So yeah, I think Welbeck's work rate is always going to make him a useful option, particularly in those away legs. Absolutely, yeah, I th- I'm I'm on board with all that. So uh, yeah, look, I think a good night, and I think given where we were coming into this game, this tie, I should say, rather than game. Uh, you know, to come out of it winning 5-1, you know, everyone was talking about Milan's uh, form, about how few goals they conceded under Gattuso. Maybe they're not the greatest team in the world, but, uh, you know, I don't think that really matters. Neither are we, you know. Uh, <laughs> I think you have to take that into account. People are dismissing Milan and saying, well, they're rubbish. We've been quite rubbish too, it's fair to say. And uh, if we're pitting the two rubbish teams against each other, and I use rubbish in inverted commas, we've come out well on top there. Uh, And I think it's a positive thing, and I think we're seeing a team that is actually quite focused on Europe and what Europe can bring. When this draw was made, I was not confident about our chances, particularly given the way we're playing domestically. But I think the Europa League has sharpened minds at Arsenal. I think you're absolutely right. I I almost think the cleanness, the specificity of that focus, win this competition, get in the Champions League, is beneficial to us because we are a good cup team. uh, And we're able to focus on that now. So I feel really encouraged by the result against Milan. I think we knocked out certainly on form, one of the stronger teams in the competition. And I think we've got a really good chance of <clears throat> of going far now. You know, when you're in the quarterfinals, you start to look at the final and it feels within range, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not far away. It's not far away. There's only about eight weeks left of this season. That's all. So, wow. you know, when you when you look at it that way, there's a, there's a lot still to play for. And, you know, I'm uh, like you and like many who are listening This season has been very difficult from a Premier League point of view in terms of the expectations, in terms of where we are, as opposed to where we feel we should be. It has been really difficult and it's been hard to enjoy a lot of it because watching your team lose games that they should win, watching them play poorly, watching them make mistakes, you know, seeing an empty Emirates or half empty Emirates stadium, it's not nice. Nobody enjoys any of that. So to have this and to 
have something to look forward to for the hopefully the rest of the season or at least for another little while in this season. Something exciting, something that's a bit fun, something that has now got real seriousness to it in terms of what it could bring to this football club. A European trophy. We don't have many. Champions League qualification for next season. I mean, these are real tangible rewards and things that can get fans excited. And I think we need that as a fan base. Uh, and to have this thing, uh, this Welbeck thing, um, go down the way it's gone down to sort of get everyone more or less on the same hymn sheet. There's always going to be people who, you know, aren't going to be on board or people who don't want to be on board with other people. But just in general, a sense that we're all looking at the same thing and wanting the same thing and moving in that direction. It's something that's been missing uh, for a lot of this season, maybe some of last season as well. Uh, and, and I'm all for it. I'm right behind it. I think it's good. I think it's healthy and positive for us as football fans because it becomes quite easy when things are going badly to get so sucked into a wormhole of dismay and misery and you can't see a way out or you can't see what's good about this. What is good about my time, dedicating my time to this thing that makes me unhappy and makes me sad and makes me angry or frustrated or whatever it is and you lose sight of that sometimes and to have this thing now and go, oh yeah, this is it. This is it. Uh, and I'm, I'm fucking well on board with all this. Yeah, and it kind of distills everything, doesn't it, into a sort of simple, a simple rubric of if we win, you know, we're four games from a final. We're four games from a final, mm. and the Premier League probably is going to be quite painful between now and the end of the season. We've got some tough games, and we'll be rotating and resting players, and our focus won't be there. But I think we can accept that because we've got this other goal now. We've got it in sight, and. You know, we've never seen Arsenal win a European trophy under Arsene Wenger. It's been mm. more than 20 years since Arsenal won any kind of European silverware. So if you can't get excited about that, I don't know what to tell you, really. I mean, it's a it's a big deal. And being in the Champions League would be a really big deal, too. And sort of be a bit of a cheat for this club who, who don't really deserve to be there based on <laughs> league places, you know. But it would enable us suddenly to attract a better class of player that might give us a better chance of being in there on league merit next year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There is no downside to our involvement in the Europa League at this stage. Like anybody who no. doesn't want us to win a European trophy for whatever reason, uh, whatever way they want to justify it to themselves about what it might mean for the future, etc., etc., that why are you doing this? Why are you why are you uh, supporting a football club if you don't want it to win something? That is the whole fucking point. That's what it's about. You know, you can't criticize on the one hand for lack of success or lack of achievement and then decide that you don't want or a particular achievement or a trophy is not is not acceptable or it's not good enough. Or, you know, the consequences of that might be what? Well, it doesn't matter. Think about that shit after we've lifted a trophy. Yeah, no, I, I mean, trophies are... A huge deal. That's what we're. Yeah. That's what we're in this for. Um, so look, the draw is taking place today. We were thinking about mm. maybe trying to do the draw, uh, the podcast, while the draw was taking place, but time constraints mean that we can't do that. But well, let's just let's just skip to the, the inevitable and say Bayern Munich. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, well, you know, Madrid is a lovely place to visit, so <laughs> we'll all enjoy that. Well, you know, there's some uh, there's some nice uh, some nice trips on the on the horizon potentially Rome Lisbon Marseille Madrid um, so the teams we can face are Atletico Madrid uh oh uh oh um, Marseille 
Lazio, Sporting Lisbon, uh, Orbi Leipzig, Red Bull Salzburg, and uh, CSKA Moscow. Um, what's the thing? Is it CSKA or is it Seska or what? How do you? Seska. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Let's stick with CSKA. I mean, we'll be wrong whatever we say. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, out of those, which would you want to avoid completely? I guess Atletico Madrid, simply because they're such a well-organized, high-quality side that if perhaps somebody else could knock them out along the way, that would suit us very nicely while we got somebody perhaps a little less difficult. That'd be lovely. I mean... Looking at that, I think Madrid are clearly the one to avoid. Lazio are a pretty strong team, fourth in Serie A at the moment. Uh, I, I suppose that would be what I would regard as the second hardest draw. Any of those other teams, I'd fancy my chances. I mean, going somewhere like Moscow is always tricky, isn't it? And I know that Leipzig have been playing very well. Mm. But I, I, I think when I look at that list, Madrid are the only ones who I think who really make me sweat, you know? Yeah, I don't think I'd like to go to Moscow just for the travel. And uh, I don't think we've got a particularly great record in in Russia uh, when Mm. we go there. So just maybe the distance and travel to that one, I'd I'd like to avoid. Any of the others, I think we'd be pretty okay with. Uh, But, you know, if it's Atletico, it's Atletico. You can't can't choose. At some stage. Yeah, or, you know, maybe it'll play out like the... uh, 2014 FA Cup played out where it looked like we were going to have some big teams to face and then it turned out to be Wigan and Hull. So I'm all for that as well. You know, I don't I don't need to beat Atletico Madrid to enjoy the final or enjoy a cup triumph, right? It That's be- true. I mean, my ideal draw really is probably Atletico Madrid versus Lazio. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm happy to like cruise our way to the final to the trophy if that's what happens. You know, I don't think when you get to this stage of any tournament though you can take any team for granted and say we just have to turn up to win. You know, we we got no, some no. evidence of that uh, in the last round against Ostersund. Ostersund. Ostersund's FK. Yes, Ostersund. It's, it's FK Ostersunds, but it's Ostersund. Mm. I mean, we did, we were last night some big teams went out, didn't they? Dortmund went out, I mm. think Leon went out. Uh, they'll be gutted uh, given given the location of the final. Yeah, um, we've we've got a, a real punching chance in this. I mean, I think the bookies make us second favourites, which is usually a pretty good indicator. Yeah, not bad. So look, a good night. Uh, it keeps our season alive. It gives us something to remain interested in and to hope for. And uh, I think that's a, it's a positive thing. And now we go into a, a kind of an interlull. There's nothing happening um, for a couple of weeks because of the international break. Uh, we yes. don't have a game this weekend because we're not in the FA Cup. So it's going to be a couple of weeks before we play again. Yeah, Arsene Wenger said that in this period, only four... Uh, four first-team players will remain at London Colney. Everybody else is going off on some form of international duty. Um, or just a holiday, I guess. Who yeah. are those four? Any uh, well, ideas? Um, per Mertesacker, Rob yeah. Holding. Rob Holding? He might be with the under-21s, no? I don't know. No clue whatsoever. Um, Who knows? Uh, but there you go. So I don't know what you'll be doing with them. Five aside. Less than that, two aside. Uh, Three and in. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, quite a nice way to to enter it into lull anyway with a positive result like that, and uh, probably a nice way for English football to finally close down. Yes, uh, yes, at least you know we went out on a high. Yes, RIP English football. It's been nice knowing you, and uh, you know maybe one day we'll meet again. 
Maybe. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with part two, your questions and more right after this. in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just very quickly before we get into the questions, a brand new episode of My Arse. Uh, podcast available exclusively to Arsblog members on Patreon went up this week. I talked to Bernard Butler. You might know him as the guitarist from Suede, but he's a musician, a record producer. We talk about music and studios and gear and Johnny Marr and football and Arsenal and all that kind of stuff. You can find it uh, at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. It costs just five euros a month plus VAT for access to that. It helps support everything else we do. So if you feel like listening to something apart from this this weekend because there's going to be no Arsenal. Uh, get on board with that. Patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Right. Um, James, I'll let yes. you go first. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, well, I've got a question from Arsblog's very own Tim Stillman. 
Right. Still Berto on Twitter. And Tim says, given how often it happens, is it worth getting angry about diving anymore, whether it's our team or not? Or like stadium naming rights, lunchtime kickoffs and the muted celebration, is it just one more thing that we have to reluctantly accept as part of the game? Is it worth getting angry about? Yeah, of course it is, because it's it's part of the pantomime, mm. isn't it? It's like... Like we said earlier, when, when your own player dives, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that was a bit bad. Yeah, he probably probably shouldn't have done that, I guess. And then when someone else dives, it's like, you're fine, fucking diving, cunt! And it's it's just part of the fan experience, I think, that we we can do things, I think, to make diving less prevalent. There are certainly things they can do. Uh, the introduction, for example, of retrospective punishment should enable us or the uh, people who run the game, the officials, to make diving less frequent because players will go, uh-oh, uh, all these cameras will catch me diving and I'm going to get a ban. So far they, this they season... They very loath to actually punish anybody. Well, yeah, this way. is what I mean. They've, they introduced that with a big fanfare and one player, I think, has been punished this mm. season. One player. Um... It feels a bit like FFP, doesn't it? It was a nice idea, but they <laughs> can't actually enforce it. Yeah, I mean, do we have to just blindly accept things that are wrong? No, I guess not. That That's probably not a healthy thing. Uh, but I think football thrives on... Part of what uh, helps football thrive is the outrage and is the, is the fact that, you know, I can sit there and watch a game with my brother... And I'll say, Jesus, what a dive. And he'll go, no way. He touched him. Look, he's a foul. And I go, no, are you f you're mad. Uh, and my brother is somewhat argumentative uh, when it comes to football at times. And we can look at the same thing to, I, I guess, relatively sensible people and have two completely different conclusions from it. Mm. And it's part of it. It's just part of... of of the game and of the way players play. I mean, I thought Gattuso's comments afterwards were brilliant. Here was he the was man. Right. Here was yeah. the man who had every right to be angry or furious about what happened yesterday in terms of Welbeck's dive. And as some of the media were uh, getting out their fainting couches and smelling salts because it was all just too much for them to bear because they're killing English football. Or IP English football, God bless you. Um, you know, Gattuso comes out afterwards and says, he's a striker. He has to do what he does. And we can't use that as the entire influence of English football. Even when I was a player, I always tried to get away with something. And that's mm -hmm. true of every player. Whether you, whether it's a dive, whether you're putting the, the ball when you're taking a corner outside the, the, what you call it, the little fucking roundy bit. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, whether you step forward a couple of yards before you take a throw in and then you step forward another couple of yards and you, you go to take it, you step forward another couple of yards, referee tells you, get back. You know, players do it all the time. Little tugs on the shirt, stamps on the foot, obstruction, standing in the way of somebody. There's countless things that players do to try and gain the tiniest advantage. Sometimes it's a big advantage. Sometimes it's a tiny advantage. But they do it all throughout every single game. And it's just part of it. And we can get outraged. And we should get outraged. And we can call for it to stop. But we'd miss it, I think, if it wasn't there. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think Gattuso's comments 
were the comments of a man who probably doesn't want to be accused of being a hypocrite. As we mentioned earlier, one of his own players died during the game. So I don't think he can come out and say, I think it's inherently awful. Um, and I think he was also realistic about the tie more broadly. He said, I don't want to make excuses. You know, we lost 5-1. Uh, oh, sorry, I've got a video playing on my computer and it's really thrown me. <laughs> uh, we can't hear it at this end. That's all right. No, I know, but trust me, at this end, it's very, very bizarre. I, uh, yeah, I, I found it, I found it quite heartwarming. I don't know how much sound odd, heartwarming about diving, but I found it sort of reassuring that Gattuso was so chilled out about it. Actually, I thought he came across pretty well in the whole evening. I liked his little exchange with Montreal too, where <laughs> he got a bit narky and then apologised. And he apologised for it again in the press conference. But I liked the handshake. I thought there was something... I like the, I like the way Montreal just caught the ball. Yeah, I liked that as well. Well, thank goodness he did. <laughs> He'd be clean in the face otherwise. Um, I've forgotten the question. Do we have to accept it? There's an interesting intersection, isn't there, between this question of do we accept diving and the use of video replays? Because a lot of the people who have been opposed to VAR in the media were were the people lambasting Welbeck yesterday, and it's like, mm. well, if you don't want the if you don't want the replay, then you know players are going to get away with things yeah. because strikers are always going to look to make the most of opportunities. I do think you have to accept that. Even Arsene Wenger accepts that. I was just looking back. Um, the video popped up on an article from The Mirror, of all places, written by none other than John Cross, um, saying, quoting Arsene Wenger talking about strikers diving and saying, strikers will always uh, make the most of the opportunity. I don't encourage them to dive, but that's what they'll do. He was talking in reference to Mauricio Pochettino's comments on Harry Kane and, and Deli Ali, and he actually was sort of mm. almost in support of Pochettino, saying, look, that's the, that's the nature of the game these days. Yeah. I don't get too upset by it. And I think my, my, the truth is that I don't get too riled when it goes against us either because I just sort of see it as a part of the game and I like the debate around it. I like the controversy. Mm. And that's why I'm, I'm not a pro-VAR person because I, I like these moments of subjectivity and I like the outrage. I like the pantomime. I like that part of football. Yeah. I'm not a purist in the respect of I just want to see the rules observed in a kind of robotic way. To me, that's not as entertaining, to be no. honest. I mean, look, I, I can see when our players do things wrong and I can see when opposition players do things wrong. I'm not blind to those things, but sometimes, sometimes I'm just like, fuck it. It's my team and it's worked out for us. So the rest of you can go fuck yourselves. And I'm happy enough to be magnanimous when it's required or to criticise when it's required. But there are just times where you go, fuck all the noise. And it's 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 worked out for us. It's worked against us in the past. It'll work against us in the future as well. Um the circle goes on. It's the circle of the circle of life, circle of football life. But on that, we have a question here from Eliza, who is at Eliza, who wants to know what's your favourite ever bit of Arsenal cheating slash shithousery. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because I was just thinking. You know, you you say you can recognise when our players do something mm. wrong, but sometimes you just enjoy it. You've got to look at Martin Keown and the rest of the gang at Old Trafford 2003, the way they rounded on Ruud van Nistelrooy. I mean, you know, that was not mm. okay, really, within, within the, the laws of the game, but we all loved it and how important it was for that season and for that team and, you know, how much pride I think we derived from it as fans, even though everyone else thought it was appalling. So yeah. 
that's got to be right, right up there for me. What about you? Uh, I think one of my favourites, it came during uh, a formative period in my Arsenal supporting life. Uh, and it was a traumatic day. It was when Arsenal lost the FA Cup final in 1980 to, uh, to West Ham. But there was a moment late in the game when Paul Allen, who I think is a cousin of Clive Allen, uh, one of the, the angry men, the angry mm-hmm. Tottenham men, he was clean through on goal. And uh, Willie Young, big Arsenal centre half of the time, just hacked him down. Just literally just hacked him down and got a yellow card for it. It's, it's a red card all day long these days. I think it was it was one of those inc- incidents where people went, actually, I'm not sure a yellow card is sufficient punishment for what this guy did here. <laughs> I, I like that. I enjoyed that. Um, but the, the ones that I really enjoy aren't so much bits of cheating per se, but I like things that get the opposition crowd going mental. Like, it's a bit juvenile, but sometimes a bit of shushing. Like, Remember when remember when we beat Stoke when uh when Aaron Ramsey had his leg broken by Ryan Shawcross and we scored a couple of late goals and I think late on Fabregas committed a foul and Tony Pulis was going absolutely fucking berserk on the sidelines. He was going crazy because it was a it wasn't a great um tackle by Fabregas. It was a bad foul, I guess you would say. But Fabregas ran back up and gave him the, you know, the shh. And this made Pulis even more incandescent with rage. He was puce. He was absolutely furious and he was on the sidelines and the Stoke fans were going crazy. But other things like, um, remember Chesney at uh, White Hart Lane where he oh, got... Chesney's done a few, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but Chesney getting the ball and f- absolutely flattening Gareth Bale in the process and then walking away, that, that famous wink, stuff like that. And I have a vision as well of... I don't know if this was for Arsenal or if it was for Germany, but Jens Lehmann going behind the advertising hoardings to collect the ball and then trying to throw it over the advertising hoardings, but deliberately missing. (laughs) I remember that as well. That kind of thing I like. I love that. I love that. I love a goal. Yeah, a goalkeeper getting booked, clinging onto a lead, doing something stupid is always quite funny, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, even even the opposite of that. When you know, when a, you know, when a goalkeeper is time wasting all day, and uh, all of a sudden they need a goal, and he starts hurrying up, that kind of stuff. But I like it, you know, from our point of view. If we're going to waste time, I like a bit of time wasting when we're in the lead. Fuck mm. that. Let's annoy them. Let's make it really frustrating for them and for the fans. Um, I, I like that kind of stuff. Stuff that winds up the opposition and the opposition fans without being too cheaty, if you know what I mean. Stuff that's vaguely within the rules of the game or more or less within the rules of the game, but drives people mental. Those are the things that I like. Gamesmanship, basically. Yes, the dark arts, perhaps the you might dark say. dark arts. I mean, I'll tell you, one that <laughs> sticks in my mind as well, and this was clearly outside the rules of the game, but wasn't in a competitive match that I'll never, ever forget, was uh, the Dennis Bergkamp testimonial at the Emirates Stadium <laughs> the first game. Do you remember this? Gilles Grimondi? The, Grimondi? the Grimondi on Edgar Davids. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You should explain that, this one for people who, who haven't I seen it. I can't actually remember the context. Is it that Davids... Is through on goal? Yeah, I he's absolutely. Yeah. I think he's gone round the keeper. Uh, <laughs> I think David Seaman might have been in goal. He's gone round the keeper and he's about to roll it into an empty net. And uh, Grimondi charges through, hacks him down. Like, it's not yeah. a gentle trip. It's quite a hack. It's a uh, pretty serious foul for a friendly <laughs> game. <laughs> and everyone goes, yay! 
Rudd and Davids, to his credit, at least doesn't react. He, he understands the uh, the circumstances of the day. But there's a brilliant moment, isn't there, where Grimondi and, and Seaman are passing each other. And uh, the, the look on Grimondi's face is, is amazing. You can find that on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, go seek it out. But it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, okay, let's have another question. This one's from PJ Davidson. We had lots of variants on this one. He's PJ Davids 25 on Twitter. Uh, and PJ asks, if we only have the option of extending the contract of either Wilshire or Ramsey, who do you sign up and why? Rambi- Rambo, clearly the bigger talent, but still feel he'd leave for another club, while Jack Wilshire seems like he'd be content as a gunner for life. If I had to choose, I would choose Aaron Ramsey just because just because of what he can bring you as a player. You know, I, I would I would be quite happy to keep Jack Wilshere as a squad player and a squad option. Uh but I don't think he can contribute as much as Aaron Ramsey can contribute. The big question mark, the only real question mark for me over Ramsey is the fitness. You know, the, he misses great periods of, of the season um, and has done for a few years now with hamstring and muscular injuries. And that's a concern. another procedure now, isn't it? Yeah, small procedure. We don't, do we know what it is or? No, actually, it didn't come up in the press conference. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but with Ramsey mm. and with his record, you just never know. Mm. Yeah, but for me, I, I would keep, I would keep Ramsey. If I could secure one of them to a long-term contract, it would be it'd be Aaron Ramsey. Do you think it is an either-or situation in the club's mind? I don't think so. I just think uh, we spoke about the Wilshire situation on the podcast on Monday, mm. uh, so I don't want to go over old ground. But look, we, it's an impasse. Arsenal are offering this. Wilshire deems that not acceptable, and unless something changes, he's not going to sign. So I don't think it's that Arsenal don't want Wilshire to stay. I think they want him to stay within the confines of what they're prepared to offer him. But uh, uh, you know, I'm not confident necessarily that we're going to tie Ramsey down to a new deal. That's the other thing. That's the other side of it. I, I hope that we can because I think he's a, a really big talent. And if we want to build, if we want to build our midfield, he's got to be part of it. He really does have to be part of it because. You know, re- replacing him, replacing Wilshire. Like if they, if the two of them were to go, perhaps, um, what have you got? El Nenny, Xhaka. What then? Maybe you know, Maitland I mean, Niles, I, I, you know. Yeah, we are in a bit of a scary situation with Ramsey, though, I think. You know, we're only a few months away from uh, the dreaded 12 months from expiry. Mm. The same identical situation we were in with Alexis and Ozil. Um it's amazing that it's that it's got this far. If it's not signed now and there's no talk of an imminent extension, you'd think it will be something that would have to be addressed in the summer. I mean, maybe he's, like a couple of other players in the squad, playing a bit mm. of a wasting game, waiting to see what happens with the managerial situation. Mm. While we're talking about midfield, we've got a question here from Facebook from Trolls Henrik Balslev Krag. I hope I've got that right. Great name. Yeah, he says, what's happened to Xhaka? Mm. Suddenly he's a football player, marshalling players to make them run the ball out of play, etc., etc. I think obviously focusing on the the improved defensive uh, contribution of Granit Xhaka over the last month, I think he's been really very good. Yeah, he has improved, hasn't he? Both Milan games, very good. Good at home to Watford too. Uh, form, I think, is a thing. I know people get a bit sensitive about intangibles sometimes and question the veracity of that as an assessment of a player. But I do think that, you know, confidence is really important 
for any football player and he seems to have a bit more about him at the moment but I think there is something tactical happening too I think he's sitting deeper than we have seen and I think he's being a bit more conservative in terms of how often he bombs forward he, he was playing a bit too much box to box at times mm. kind of alternating with Ramsey uh, in that double pivot now he is definitely the deeper member of the two and it, it was even the case when he played with El Nenny. you know he stayed rarely ventured past the halfway line to be honest against yeah. Watford with Elneny pushing forward all the time I think that helps him it makes those recovery distances shorter which definitely assists him given his, his lack of pace uh, and I think maybe it's just a, an attention thing maybe it's just you know I mean God forbid maybe the coaches have had a well, word with him yeah here, here's a question on that from Mohan Ballard who's at Molustrations on Twitter and he says uh, about Xhaka's visible improvement his defencing and tracking back in the last few matches would you put this down down to actual coaching and good instructions or do you think he's consciously realised this all by himself due to the criticism? We don't know, do we? I mean, no. that's that's the reality of it. But I, we do know that Shaka was a bit dismayed, I think, at the lack of instruction that he was receiving, certainly in the early period of his Arsenal career. Uh, maybe that has changed. Maybe they have looked at it and thought we need to give this guy a more defined role in the team. I think that's the key to Shaka, isn't it? It is that he needs a very defined role that protects him and you know when you have a player who's really strong in some departments and a little bit weak in others you need to be specific about what their instructions are and I think he hasn't had that he's been asked to sort of play a general role as midfielder and I think that that's not brought the best out of him but I don't think there's ever been any doubt that there is a talented player in there I just think he needs the right protection and the right system of late we have been getting that right I think it is too soon to say well Problem solved. He's the midfield mm. fulcrum, but it's a definite improvement, isn't it? Sure is. I mean, I think we can see very clearly there's been a focus on doing more defensively. And I think probably it has come from some of the criticism, perhaps analysis of some of his performances, because he it, it's an area where he was found wanting, where a bit like you used, used to see it a bit with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain as well where he would get to a certain position on the edge of the box. His positioning perhaps was fine. It was his concentration in those areas that let him down, where he mm. thought just by being there, his job was done, whereas he had to remain switched on. And uh, it definitely happened to Oxlade-Chamberlain a few times where he stood watching and players ran past him and, and goals were scored. And we saw that with Xhaka as well. So, you know, if the guy's a serious professional, and he seems to be... Um, a serious guy about what he wants to do with his uh, career and everything else. Maybe he has taken a look. Maybe he has taken advice, whether it's from coaches, whether it's from his brother, who's a footballer as well, whether it's from family or who knows. But you can definitely say there's been a change in the way that he's played over the last number of games, that there is more defensive focus, more defensive awareness, more defensive running, and it has improved his performances immeasurably. And it's a really positive thing. So keep it up. And it's a good partnership with Ramsey, isn't it? You know, I think when those two are together, we saw it a little bit last season, but it is the functional midfield partnership we have at the moment, really. Yeah, I think he can work with El Nenny as well. I think El Nenny is a bit of um I don't want to say a, uh, a beige footballer, but I think Elneny can work with a multitude of players mm. because of what he does and how he does it, whereas maybe Xhaka and Ramsey need each other in a way. But yeah, no, it's it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a good improvement and a positive thing. 
Let's have a question. This is from Charlie Barlow, who's at Chazabar on Twitter. And Charlie says, what are your thoughts on Meza Ozil and Henrik Mkhitaryan's roles on the wings? Who fits best where and in what circumstances? Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Mkhitaryan played on the left in Milan mm-hmm. and on the right uh, against Watford and against Milan in London. But did he I mean, start, did he start on the, a big asset. He started on the left last night and then came over to the right. So he did, actually. That's right, yeah. Um, I, I think perhaps it enables Ozil to have that f- more free role. Uh, he, he's not a wide player, is he, Mesut Ozil? He's not the guy who's going to go down the wings. He's not going to get crosses in. But what he does is he drifts between the two flanks and looks to make the passes that can provide some incision down there. So Mkhitaryan, perhaps a little more a little more traditional in terms of his qualities. Uh, mm. But like Ozil, he doesn't look to overlap. He doesn't look to... Uh, to get behind the last defender so much as uh, pick the ball up in dangerous areas, uh, whether it's right or left. So I think one of the things that you've said a number of times is perhaps we need somebody who can play as a wide forward, a more traditional wide forward. Um, But I think Arsene Wenger was talking during the week, wasn't he, about why Ozil and Mkhitaryan can play together. People see them as uh, very similar kinds of players, playmakers perhaps. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's hard to know, you know, Really, with the way that we play, it's been hard to identify exactly what people's roles are. And with Mkhitaryan new in the side, uh, it becomes a little bit more difficult again. But I, I like the way the two of them operate. And I think perhaps Mkhitaryan is a bit more, I won't say adventurous, that's not the right word, but he tends to lose possession a bit more than Mesut Ozil does. So he's the one perhaps who's looking to make the more risky passes. Yeah. Uh, whereas Ozil will keep it going uh, and keep the ball moving until an opportunity presents itself for him, Mkhitaryan might force it a bit more. He's a bit more direct, I think, isn't he? Yeah, it, both in terms of getting shots away at goal and also looking perhaps earlier for that final pass. I, I, I think his versatility is one of his most underrated qualities, Mkhitaryan. He has played from the right. He has played from the left. We've seen him come on in central midfield for us too. And he's kind of looked equally comfortable in in all of those roles. So I think that makes him a very, very useful asset. Mm. Are you surprised that it has been Jack Wilshire rather than Meza Ozil who has been starting in that kind of number 10 role, in, for example, in the Milan games? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, but maybe it's about the versatility of each player or the ability of each player to play a role. Mm. Like, I think he's used Wilshire in the front three in Europe before, hasn't he? Um, and it hasn't really worked out. Whereas I think Ozil is much much more athletic. Uh, he's got the ability to drift uh, across the pitch. He's got the ability to make a difference in the final third. Um, come deep and pick the ball up if he wants as well. So I think it's, yeah, I think... Wilshire is a bit pigeonholed in that regard, whereas Ozil can can play as a number ten, or he can play as a a wider playmaker. So I think it's I think that's the reason. Mm. Mm. It's interesting because mm. in the Premier League, you know, Ozil's been playing more as the ten with someone like Iwobi wide, and then when it comes to European games, uh, Ozil himself is stationed more wide, Wilshire in the middle. But it, the balance seemed to work quite well last night. I thought it was good. Mm, it really was. Okay, here is a um, question from Squidboy, who's at the Squidboy Like. And he mm-hmm. wants to know, James, what's your default state of anger? Is it raging, 
fuming, livid, vexed, or cross? I'd have to go with cross today, I think. Really? <laughs> Very cross. Um, my default state of anger. Yeah, cross, definitely. What about you? <sighs> Depends. Probably vexed. I find myself vexed by things quite often. Uh, yeah, I find life vexing at times. Yeah, it can be, can't it? It's, mm. it's uh, when something gets under your skin, uh, it's difficult. It's yeah. tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. But, you know, I, I, I like it when we get under other people's skin. Not you and me, Arsenal. Like bacteria. Exactly. Multiplying and... <laughs> Festering. Spreading. Festering. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, here's another uh, couple of questions we're going to go with to, to finish. This comes from Navdeep Gill, who is at The Navigator 88. So if you're ever lost, Navdeep is the guy who will get you home. Uh, okay. And he's far away from home. He says, hello, gents. Or maybe he's not far away from home. He says, I'm currently in Marseille. Oh. And what's Marseille, of course, a team that we could face in the Europa League fi- uh, quarterfinal. He says, what struck me most was after the game, I saw a commercial for some kind of crackers and a gentleman who looks just like James playing ping pong in said commercial. Mm. Is that fate? Is it fate? Or is it me selling my soul to appear in a French uh, commercial for crackers? Well, you know what? I don't think it's. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's just French because I'm going to play this. This is also a commercial that's going out in uh, the Netherlands, I think. Tuk presenteert. Eén cracker, eindeloos plezier. Serveer bijvoorbeeld eens. There you are. Tuk tennis, game, set en match. Tuk, totally crackers. Totally crackers. (laughs) Totally crackers. Which interestingly (laughs) was the psychological diagnosis given to Steve McLaren after his time in Holland. I yes, it is me, and it is in French, Italian, Dutch, Czech television. Oh, hang on, uh, I've got, I've got the, uh, I've got the French version here. Hang on, let's see how it sounds in in French. Tu présente un cracker pour un match de fun. Cracker. Éclaté entre amis. À vous de servir. Jeu sept et match. Oh, I like that. Completement craqué. I like that. Um, Completement craqué. <laughs> it's not only that English football died today, it's also my credibility as a human being. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say, your face of exasperation is right up there with one of the uh, the great acting performances that you can ever think of. Daniel Day-Lewis is retiring because of this. He saw your Turk commercial and went, I can't do I've fucking, I spend like two years in character and this guy comes along and blows me out of the water. What's going on? <laughs> I actually, I mean, I'll, I'll level with you guys. They, uh, they're making another Took advert in this series, but they're using two of the people from the advert, but not me. I've been killed off from the Took Totally Crackers friends, which is a real heartbreaker for me in financial terms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Any particular reason that they gave? I guess you were just outshining the others. You were taking focus off the, uh, the crackers. Yeah, I think it's also that in his polo neck and glasses, my character looks 
uh, a little bit like someone you wouldn't leave on their own with anybody for any period of time. It's not a, it's not a great look, but do you know, check it out on YouTube. Fair fair comment there. Was it was that your costume choice or did they give you that? And I insisted upon it. Yeah, I turned up in that and refused to try on anything else. <laughs> Totally crackish. Totally crackish. Completement cracker. Okay, we've got a, a couple more, I think, just to finish. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but every time we ask for questions for the Arscast Extra, right. we have a, a reply from Nicole 11 who's at Nicole11AFC, who asks yeah. the same question every single week. And the question is, what's your perfect Sunday? Right. And this and today, he's gone, please, can you answer this time? What's your perfect Sunday? It's weird that we've not dealt with it before because I know everyone at home is dying to know what our perfect <laughs> Sunday entails. So what's, um, what's yours? My perfect Sunday probably starts with a fry up, to be honest. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can go with that. That's a good uh, start. Go out to a little... Cafe near me, near Clissold Park, have a fry up. And then I quite like, um, see, I like when we play on a Saturday at three o'clock. It makes me feel all warm and fuzzy and traditional inside. It doesn't happen very often. Mm. So, probably not an Arsenal game on a Sunday, but I do like a kind of super Sunday double header, you know, a sort of, you know, some of the big sides involved and hopefully losing. Uh, so, like, you know, sp- watching Spurs lose and United lose in the course of one Sunday would be a nice afternoon for me. Maybe a roast is involved somewhere Mm. as well. And then in the evening, just go to the pub and have a few drinks and laugh about the football. Yeah, and I think I I can't really argue with any of that. A few afternoon pints are also good. Yeah. You know, uh, but what makes it better is if, for example, you have a bank holiday on a Monday. That's a great shout, actually. You know, now I know it's a little bit different. You know, my my work is a little bit different, so you don't feel a bank holiday the same way as if you work in an office. We still have to do the podcast. Still got to do the podcast, still got to do the blog and the website and everything else, but there's a little less pressure on you to do that. And Sunday evenings, Bank holiday Sunday evenings uh, in the pub, bit of music on, few pints, having the chats. I think that's uh, I think that's a good Sunday for me. Again, with some football involved, if it's other people's misery or if it's Arsenal winning, I'm I'm okay with that. Once it's mm. a good Sunday from a footballing point of view, I'm I'm a okay with that. Yeah. If we lost on the Saturday, I can't really have a good Sunday. That's no. the problem. No, you can't watch match of the day. You can't read the Sunday papers. Um, yeah, it's not good. So it's all dependent on Arsenal. Everything we do is dependent on Arsenal doing well and having a good time. So, yeah, what lives we lead. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I've got well, a final question. Unless you've okay. got more. No, you go. I've got one this more. This is but... from James Black. Oh, uh, that's Rex the... Thunder. <laughs> that's it's the same as you. Use, yeah. yeah, go for so, it. James has got in touch saying, "Dear Arsenal Gun Blog, what would scare you more? Sharks with the legs of lions that can breathe on land." Or an army of monkeys proficient with nunchucks? Also, have you stopped answering the silly questions? No, we haven't. We haven't. They've stopped coming. I think everyone's been too uh, too sad and low about Arsenal. Exactly. And sometimes questions. you've got to gauge the mood. Read the room, as they say. Read the yeah, room. So it. after a 5-1 win over Milan and Danny Welbeck uh, bouncing back from that uh, potentially uh, career-threatening uh, injury he could have sustained in that horrible, horrible tackle that sent him flying to the turf last night, um, what would scare me more? Definitely the sharks with the legs of lions that can breathe on land. Land sharks, terrifying. 
Land terrifying. Sharks are terrifying. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's an army of monkeys with nunchucks, though. And these aren't just monkeys with, like, typewriters that don't know how to use them. It's just they're proficient with nunchucks. I mean, one shark, you could potentially outrun it. You could poke sharks. it in its eyes. Or- he says sharks. He does say sharks. It's sharks, plural. Yeah, so he doesn't say how many. It could be two sharks. It could be two million sharks. You know, an army of monkeys. What if they're only little, those tiny monkeys? What if they're the little itty bitty ones? We don't know. You know, we don't have to have the big, huge ones that look like they could tear you limb from limb with gigantic nunchucks, which are nunchucks. Oh, yeah. They're they're like the sticks, right? They're the sticks with a chain. It's what Michelangelo had in the turtles. You know, it's like um, two little sticks with a chain in between. Yeah. I wouldn't be as scared of those as I would be of land sharks who can breathe on la- uh, land and have the legs of lions who could, like, tear after you because lions mm. can run really, really fast. I tell you what, I'm not sure you'd need to train monkeys to proficiency with nunchucks. I reckon if you gave any monkey a pair of nunchucks, it could do some damage. Yeah. Yeah. Did I tell you that when I was in Sri Lanka, I saw a, a monkey punch a Russian? <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you that? No, you didn't tell me. You saw a monkey punch a Russian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were in <laughs> Sri Lanka and there were there were a lot of monkeys around, um, which I found exciting, sort of monkeys in a train station, hanging out, eating human food. It's weird. It's I thought you were going to say eating human flesh. Eating, <laughs> eating the flesh of Russians. And um, this, we're, uh, this one particular tourist attraction called Sigiriya, it's like a huge... Uh, sort of fort on a mountain, you might say. And um, it's sort of effectively inhabited by monkeys. And this Russian guy sort of nudged his wife as if to say, watch this. And there was a monkey on a wall and he sort of pushed the monkey in the chest. What and an the asshole. monkey, Yeah, I know. And the monkey, in a moment of absolute brilliance, just sort of looked down as if to be like, what are you doing? And just punched the bloke back. Yes. <laughs> Fucking right, monkey. Yeah, and he was a a slightly sort of, you know, bit of an obnoxious tourist, to be honest. And I was delighted to see this monkey retaliate in this fashion. Then the monkey turned around and he and I high-fived. Quite right, too. Quite Um, right, too. That monkey better watch out, though, because uh, we're going to start reading stories about the the monkey. Monkeys found dead because of a nerve agent. (laughs) Yeah. And the monkey team aren't going to send their monkey team to the World Cup anymore. Now, I think uh, if you gave that monkey some nunchucks, though, he could do some real damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And rightly too. Just let him away at uh, ignorant tourists. Um, I think that's a movie waiting to happen. Monkeys with nunchucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you doing the rest I, I, of the day? We could spend some time writing that. Yeah. Should get it done by about four o'clock. We've got the international break, so <laughs> yeah. we, know, we could make it a real full feature film. Absolutely. But yeah, The Shark is definitely the scarier. I mean, the, look, Jaws is a scary film, but when you're in your house... You know, the guys that are on the beach or they're in the water, but um, um, they get out of the water, problem solved. Yeah, exactly. Shark is not following them onto Amity Bay or whatever it was called. Yeah. Yeah. But, but imagine if you were just in your bed, tucked up in your bed, and then you heard, I think it takes it to the next level. Yeah, you wake up with a shark with lion's legs looming over you. I mean, if that happened, I think the last thing I'd be thinking about would be its legs. <laughs> I think I don't think I'd be like, oh my god, there's a shark here, and look at its legs. I would be trying to avoid the mouth at all costs. 
I wonder, yeah, but because of it would have to stand sort of upright, wouldn't it? Or would it no? It would be difficult for it to get an angle. Hang on, you? does it have two legs or four legs? Because my thinking was you've basically got an upright shark with two lion legs standing there. So like You pitched it with two legs. Yeah, no with way. With two legs. Lions uh, have got four legs. Oh god, it's even more terrifying. So you pictured this like yeah, <laughs> a perpendicular shark waddling around on two furry legs. Yeah, like a person, like a land shark person. <laughs> That's not scary at all. It's pretty fucking scary. If you the saw mouth is pointing into the sky. The only thing it can eat is like birds that accidentally drop into it. <laughs> Yeah, but like it's got the power of those lion legs where it could propel itself forward at a like vertical angle and just chomp you in half. That's what I was thinking. But now it's got like four legs. This is a fucking game changer. Yeah, I here. think it's running at you and it looks like a big land torpedo. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a different thing. That's a different thing. Either way, I go with the sharks. Far, far scarier than the monkeys. Yeah, but thank you for the question. It's nice to get back to you know the true meat of this podcast. It sure is. It's been it's been a joy to return to what we're good at rather than having to talk about football. Yeah. All right, everyone. Um, we uh, hope you have a great weekend. Hope you can cope with the sad passing of English football. Yeah. Rest in peace, English football. Sometimes I cry every time. <laughs> Anyway, oh, look, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be here. Will we? Yeah, we'll be here on Monday, won't we? We'll do an Arsecast text. We will. I mean, later. I have no idea what we'll talk about. Presumably, this will all still be going on. Danny Welbeck will have been banned for life by then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You'll be up in front of the Hague for war crimes uh, and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, look, we can deal with that. The fallout of that should be fun. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.